Acts 27 is where we're at. We're going to cover two, um, two chapters, the last two chapters, actually, of Acts this morning. And um, I want to start with some hard news, but you can handle it. Um, I need to let you all know that you're spoiled. <clears throat> you guys are spoiled rotten, and I know because I am as well. Um, how do I know that? Here's one of my data points. It's because of the fact uh, that you uh, complain about being charged $6.99 for an item to be shipped to your front door tomorrow. And that has you kind of tweaked a little bit. You're like, $6.99? What a ripoff. I thought that too. Uh, right now, we could all pull out our phones and we could order something and have it here potentially tomorrow for as little as $6.99. But we will gripe about it. Why? Because we're spoiled. We just have gotten so used to some really incredible technology. Here's where we're at in the story of Acts is that Paul is a prisoner um, and he's basically being shipped overnight from his current stay in Caesarea, Italy. I mean, Israel, which is still called that, by the way, Port City to Rome, Italy. So he's going Caesarea, Israel, to Rome, Italy. Um, only it just so happens that he can't be overnighted, right? Because overnight air doesn't exist yet. That technology doesn't exist. So instead, he is being, instead of overnight air, he's being few weeks shipped. That's what he's doing. He's going to take an actual ship to get there. And this should be a few weeks journey, and it ends up taking seven months, okay? So just lock that in your brain. Imagine, imagine getting a package promised to be delivered or expected to be delivered tomorrow by end of day, and instead of that, um, it takes, let's not go seven months, let's go seven weeks, right? Like, that would be a big change to what your plans are. Well, that's sort of it uh, by an act, uh, X factor of 10. Here's what goes on. Paul's journey from Caesarea in Israel to Rome uh, includes some terrifying setbacks, and uh, the sort of culmination is that it basically almost ends um, at him and others dying at sea. Okay, so that's sort of the setting of where we are at, and it begs this question. Remember, remember why Paul is going to Rome? He's going there to preach the gospel and encourage the church. He's going to Rome. He has this years-long dream to go to Rome to preach the gospel to the center of the known world. All roads lead to Rome and all of that, and to encourage the church. And he almost dies at sea, and it begs this question that you've asked before as well. Why do shipwrecks happen when you are pursuing good work? If you are concerned at all with obeying Jesus Christ and pursuing the good life that he stirs up in us, then you can relate to this question. Let me show you this graphic that has helped serve my mind uh, and this church really well. And that is this idea that we rest in the finished work of Christ. This helps us figure out good works. We're saved by good works. Remember that? God's good work. So we rest in that. But the good work that we are saved in is not that we stand on that side of the secure mountain that will never, ever change and have fellowship potlucks as a church until he comes to take us home. No, we rest on the finished work 
of Jesus Christ. And that serves as a solid launch point so that we as Christians can strive at the good work. Don't you see how easy it is to get this wrong? Those of you who might be in the room and still think somehow you're bartering with God and doing this sort of good-evil balance, if I do enough good, it'll off-weigh the, the bad, then you've reversed these two things. You are striving at some good work on your own in hopes that you can jump far enough to be received by God and that it was good enough. That's religion, and Christianity blows that out of the water. Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin so that what? We could become the righteousness of God. That's the launch point. Now, here's the, here's the thing with this picture. It requires faith to go from resting on the good work of God to striving at the good work that he's called us to do. And what I want to explore this morning is this. Mid-jump, when you are launched off of this thing, I'm going to go and do good things for God. And I know my head is right. I'm not trying to earn God's favor. How can I earn what's already been gifted to me? No, 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 that's not it. It's just that I'm safe and secure, and God, you have good works for me to go do. And mid-jump, things happen. So we launch forward in faith to strive after the good work God has called us to do, and things happen, bad things Hard things, wrong things happen to us while we're jumping and striving for the good work. Does this sound familiar to anyone in this room? I know it does. I know some of your stories. I know what's going on in some of your lives right now. Now, at first, mid-jump, it's not always just that, like, you know, this finger, like, flicks us out of the sky. At first, um, uh, the, the, as, as we sort of launch forward to strive towards the good work, at first there's just a shift in the wind. You know, when, when you went and took that running leap, you're just full of faith, your, your sails are full of wind, and there's just a little wind shift as you're sort of stepping out in faith. You're like, oh, that feels a little bit scary, a little bit different. Pretty soon people aren't cooperating with you. Pretty soon there's a full-blown storm. And next thing you know, while pursuing the good work God's given you to do, Uh, the ship you are on begins to sink. So back to our question. Why do shipwrecks happen on the way to good deeds as we're striving after the things of God? What are we to do in this situation? I don't know if you've been there. I don't know if you are there. But we're going to look into things we can do, things we should be thinking The final two chapters of Acts covers a ton of ground. And I mean that geographically, and I mean that historically. It just covers a ton in the story. So we're not going to get to all of it, but remember that the genre of Acts is historical narrative. In other words, Dr. Luke, who is a first-rate historian, is simply telling us what happened. He is reporting what went on, and he was here on this journey So it begs the question, what do we get from our own walk with Christ when we're reading someone else's story? Well, plenty. Remember, we're connected by story. The Bible's more than a Google search or a Wikipedia uh, search for answers. The Bible is a story. And as you get into, as you do the work of getting into the story of Scripture and connect with it, you actually learn about and connect to the author of the Bible. 
Many people have their own faith shipwrecked when people bring up hard parts that are in the scripture and they present it to the Christian. And they go, what about this? How do you answer this? This is in your Bible. You say God wrote the Bible, God wrote this, how can that be good? Many, many, many people are shipwrecked in their faith or stunted in their growth because they've never explored that part. You know why? It's because there are certain parts of Scripture that will never, ever, ever fit into a four-week pep talk series on XYZ. I would challenge you, invite you, plead with you, church, Read through whole books of the Bible. Not in one sitting. That can be really daunting. But just begin to plod your way through. As you're having the story unfold, your quiet times will not be very quiet all the time. Right? Because you will discover things. You go, how can a good God allow that to happen? Why are these good people facing such opposition? And here's what you'll begin to do. You'll begin to turn it on your own story. People have their, ship, their faith shipwrecked when other people present things in the Bible that they've never even explored or thought about or pondered because no one's shown it to them and they haven't taken the time to show it, to, to read it themselves. But people also have their faith shipwrecked when their own story begins to sour. And they just go, this is not how I would write this. And what they do is they commit the first sin. The first sin is to turn on the good father and begin to question and misinterpret what's going on. God tells us why he writes things down. So that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's why he wrote things down. That's why we take the trouble to go, it's hard to connect with Paul on a shipwreck when I'm not on a ship or at sea right now. Remember that word hope, we're going to come back to it. God preserves the story to help us in our story. We connect with the story of Scripture to connect with the author and make sense of the story he's writing in us. So we're going to come back to that question, why shipwrecks happen and why calamity often surrounds the Christian. But first what I want you to notice, and this is how I'm going to frame the rest of the talk this morning, is that over and over, Christians in the baby church, that's what's happening in Acts. It's the story of the start of the Christian church. Over and over and over again in the baby church, Christians model something to us. Here it is. They don't lean on common sense. They do lean on supernatural sense. Okay. So I'm going to walk through three ways. I'm just going to show you three snapshots in two chapters, of how this looks. One of the very first verses I memorized, uh, my parents bought me a Bible, and they wrote this on the inside flap, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That's a really good proverb to memorize. If you're looking for a proverb to memorize, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That's a really good one. What I want to do this morning is show you in two chapters of Acts a case study in what that looks like in real life. Okay? So we're going to sort of look at that. Look closely at what God has preserved for us. He knows what needed to be written down. He preserved Acts for us. And we're getting sort of a master class at how this proverb is being lived out. Um, 
When I was young, I would study the maps in the back of my Bible. And, um, and that was to get my visual brain and my adventure brain engaged when I was kind of bored when a guy like me was up here talking and droning on and on about something or other. So I would flip to the back of the Bible and I would sort of trace my finger along the maps of, um, of, of Paul and his journeys. And I just want to show you a picture of something. This is, this is sort of a snapshot of what verses 1 through 12 and Acts 27 are describing. So I'm just going to show you a picture, but what Luke is recording is sort of the details of this journey. And what you see in the maps in the back of the Bible is this. The most direct route is not always the best. It may seem like the easiest, but you have to define best. God has a whole different economy of best, and the most direct route is often not the best. That's a good principle for me to remember. Dr. Luke tracks not only their progress, but he actually tracks their powerlessness over the sea and the elements, and the things that are opposing them. What happens is they gradually get beat down. This group of 276 people on this sailing vessel, they gradually get beat down because it is so hard. Look with me, Acts chapter 27, verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind, called the Northeaster, struck down from land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Skip down to verse 18. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days... And no small tempest lay on us. Listen to these words. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. In preparation for this morning, one more time, I just listened to Acts 27 on my phone. I just listened to it. I just sort of listened to the story unfold to where we get to that verse 20, where at last... All hope of being saved had been abandoned. Remember that on this ship are paid professionals, experts at sea. And these 276 souls on board are now despairing for their life. I mean, all of us can relate to this on some level, can't we? One of the principles in studying the scriptures is there's an actual ship happening here, an actual storm happening here. But it is easy to extrapolate and say, I don't do much sailing, but I feel like I'm rapidly headed towards there. I feel like I'm rapidly heading to where hope is abandoned. Or maybe you have someone who you love in that situation. So what are we to do when this kind of hard happens? Our actions are always fed by our thoughts. So I want to take you into sort of right thinking And just sort of explore Paul and Luke and others and what they do. Remember that Paul and these Christians are modeling for us Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. They're not leaning on their own understanding. That would be leaning on common sense. There is common sense that exists. There is conventional wisdom. There is common knowledge that any group of people have. 
They are not leaning on common sense, but on supernatural sense. That's what it means when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. So three ways. Let me just have you jot these down. If you're taking notes, common sense says this. Listen to the experts. It's our best chance. Supernatural sense says we don't need chance with God. He controls it all. Let me show you where I'm getting that. Let me take you back to just before they got to the place where they had abandoned hope. Verse 9 says this. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. And then listen to verse 11. This is where I get the common sense says, listen to the experts. Verse 11 of Acts 27 says this, But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. That's common sense. Listen to the captain. He knows this stuff. Verse 12. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter, the majority decided to put out to sea from there. Pause. Along with listening to experts, there's a common sense that says, what do most people say about this? Have you ever been there? You're sort of searching for answers. You don't know what to do. What do the experts say? What's the majority opinion? This is common sense. So the majority decided to put out to sea from there. On the chance, there's our word, that somehow they could reach Phoenix, not Arizona, a harbor of Crete, facing the southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. All right, you ought to be reading the scripture and asking questions of it. Why on earth is Paul giving sailing advice? Anyone know? I mean, that's kind of crazy, right? Paul's giving sailing advice and sort of weighing in on things. Is he just a know-it-all? Well, to be sure, um, Paul's an experienced traveler. He would be in the one million miles club at the airport that like get to walk through those exclusive doors. You don't know what's behind there unless you're in that club and you're like, what's happening in there? Like, I'm just sitting here in this rickety old chair trying to get my plug to work. What's in the million miles club? That's Paul. He's pretty experienced. So when you travel that much, you have seen a, a, a thing or two, but I think it's more than that. To this point, there's an angel of God that's going to come and talk to Paul. It hasn't happened yet. So I don't think Paul's just a know-it-all. I don't think it's just that he's really experienced, although he is really experienced. Here's what's more. Paul has a deep, abiding trust that he's going to get to Rome. Paul knows that he is going to be in Rome speaking for God. We've watched this that for two years in his life, with Jesus even coming at one point and saying, you're going to make it to Rome. Hang in there. There are things that go on in life where you might say this. You might say, the story is too long, but trust me, it's going to be okay. Here's why. God put a good work in Paul's heart stirred him up to say, I, I want you in Rome. And Rome goes, uh, Paul's like, I want to be in Rome. 
And then over and over and over again, we've watched it in Acts, you've traced this, that Paul has been affirmed and reassured again and again, you're going to make it to Rome. And here again is another setback. It looks like they're going to be lost at sea, but he's utterly confident. I don't know how the conversations went, but he may have said something like this. It's a long story, but we're going to make it. Do you want to know what uh, makes people stand up and take notice? When potentially 275 people, many of them very experienced, are panicked for their life. And one guy's like, it's all good. We're going to make it. That stands out. That reminds me of Jesus asleep on the boat while everyone else is freaking out. There's common sense here. Experts and majority groupthink. But there's also supernatural sense. Super as in above or beyond nature. God is in control and has control of all of it. Let me roll through some categories of experts that are abound in our society. COVID experts. We're going to actually take COVID-19 as a case study for you personally in our community groups this week to say use COVID-19 as a metaphorical worldwide storm where people are freaking out and losing their minds. And what did you lean on, common sense or supernatural sense? So there's COVID experts, there's gender experts, there's political, financial, and social experts. There are all kinds of medical experts. Now, does it mean that the experts are always wrong? Of course not. All truth is God's truth. And so people are experts for a reason, but the experts are, here's our knowledge, here's the expert's knowledge, and like way up there is God's knowledge. So many times the best of our experts have is their very best guess based on their limited knowledge. Jesus gives us wisdom beyond the experts. So here we are at sea, and there's a pilot, and there's a captain, and he lives in this world, and Paul is in connection with the one who said, shh, be still. And the storm listens and obeys and quiets down. That's who Paul's in contact with. Paul lived this. Paul was the expert. Paul, formerly named Saul, he was the expert. He was the expert at what God wanted with the religious law. He was the expert at stamping out all the false religions until what? Boom! Saul! Saul! Stop! You got it all wrong. Like you're climbing to the top of the heap, but you know nothing. And he flipped Saul's world upside down and gave him a new name. Here's the reality. Experts often don't know the first thing about how the world is put together and how to hold their own world together. A broken worldview is a broken foundation. God delights to use the simple to confound the supposedly wise. So trusting in his understanding is trusting in supernatural sense versus only experts or your own or the majority. Let me give you a second example. Look at verse 20. Back to verse 20 for a second. When neither sun nor stars had appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved 
was at last abandoned. Here's the second one. Common sense says we've done all we can, it's useless. Supernatural sense says, you're right, you should have listened, but hope isn't lost. It's never too late to listen. You could write that all down. I know it's a lot to fit in the blank or just kind of paraphrase it. But let me show you where I'm getting this. So people listen to the experts to a point, And then sometimes the experts say, there's no hope. I remember sitting with a woman from our church. And uh, I was there in the waiting room and she came out. uh, No, no, no. By the time I had gotten there, she was already in the waiting room. And she was talking to another woman next to her in an animated way. And she was telling this woman what she told her own doctor, which is, don't tell me how many years I have left to live. Don't tell me when there's hope or no hope. That's way above your pay grade. You can tell me your expert opinion, and I will thank you for it. But don't you dare tell me how much time I have left to live. You know what's fascinating? I'm supposed to be the pastor going to visit and bring comfort, and I just told her, Her name's Isabel Lucas. I said, Isabel, you're just preaching to your pastor today. I'm pretty sure I'm like supposed to be bringing you words of wisdom and a Bible verse or pray or something. I'm just receiving today. And she was just ministering to those around her. And if you know Isabel, that's just how she talks. That's how she rolls. She was abiding by supernatural sense, not common sense. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, Paul stood up among them. All hope had been abandoned. They chucked everything overboard, including their hope. Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Take heart, men, for I have faith in the God, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. (laughs) I love this passage. This is so good. He doesn't say, I told you so, you know, like you should have listened to me like in a, in a put down way, but he doesn't let him off the hook either. He says, you know what? You really should have listened to me. I knew what I was talking about. Nevertheless, take courage, men. And off he goes, beginning to explain things. And he says really clearly what he knows. And he goes as far as he knows, and he doesn't go beyond it. And we're supposed to run aground on some island. Like, I don't know which island. I've never been there. That wasn't revealed to me. We're just supposed to run aground on some island. God once again reassures and Paul trusts. Common sense at times can say game over. You're done. You're finished. There is no hope. God gives us the good sense to say nonsense to that. Not with me. Not with one who made the ocean. There's never a reason to abandon hope. I've got this in control. Jesus is with you in the midst of the very storm you're in right now. One of the simplest definitions of being a disciple of Jesus is that they hear and do what Jesus says. 
Let me read a really familiar passage to you from Jesus himself in Matthew 7. Listen for hearing and doing. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds on what? Sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. What's the difference between those who build on the rock that will never fall and those who build on the sand that are sure to fall sooner or later? It's those who not hear because they both hear. The one who hears and does is the one who builds on the foundation, on the rock. The one who hears and does not do is the sinking sand. That's really powerful. Remember, I don't know if Paul remembered this while he was on the ship. I mean, storms are promised to both camps. The storm's going to come. And Jesus uses pretty emphatic language. The floods are going to come. The rain's going to fall. The wind's going to blow and beat on that house. In this life, you will have trouble, Jesus says, but I've overcome the world. Anchor yourself to Jesus is the message. And not just the concept of Jesus, but the actual action. Hear and do what Jesus says in this situation. So where do you turn to in storms? What's your foundation like? Let me give you a hint. The little storms in our life are like proving ground. They're testing ground for what will happen during the big storms. There's a passage that talks about being faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. When you're faithful to cling to the rock and to hear and do and keep trusting in the supernatural sense of God in these sort of smaller storms, and we know what those are. There are things that come along, it's like this is a huge deal, but it's an annoyance, it's hard, it's difficult. That's what's going to happen in the big times. We can't just skate along and sort of handle it ourselves, knowing that in the big ones we'll anchor to, to, to God, the rock. It won't happen that way. It never does. All right, students, we received this Tuesday night. Who's with me in uh, reviewing this and working to memorize this? Some of you are like, oof, I totally forgot we're supposed to be memorizing it. I see that hand. Me and Eli reviewed this morning. Part of being the pastor's son is you get a heads up on what's coming in the sermon. Here's what it says, Psalm 46, 1 to 3. Say it out loud with me if you have it. I'm doing it in this version. You ought to put it in your Bible as a bookmark so you just see it. But this is a great, our our topic was fear. It's a great verse to memorize. Our God is, is a refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Listen to how this goes on, because I don't remember the rest of it verbatim. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. Do you know the Bible that Paul read had the Psalms? He had this on the ship. Here's where my brain goes when I'm studying scripture. Maybe this psalm was set to some catchy little tune. Everly's latest thing is we'll be driving along in the car and she goes, catchy, 
like to a song we're listening to. I don't know where she picked this up, but it's the most adorable thing in the world. Maybe Psalm 46 was put to some catchy little worship tune, and Paul is sort of mumbling himself in the chains on, on the ship, you know, like singing this. I don't know. But God, you're our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Though the earth roar and foam. Yep, that's what's going on. I will not fear, for you're with me. All right, fast forward. The ship wrecks. All the lives are saved, just as Paul said it would. And think about this. When Paul, when Paul washes up on some island, which turns out to be Malta, we now know, when he comes crawling up onto that beach, like, what is rolling through Paul's mind? I don't know about you, but this guy's been through a lot. He might just be thinking, I'm getting too old for this. Like, Lord, how many more adventures am I going to be called to? I know I'm going to end up in Rome. Can we, just, can we just get there? I don't know if the surf was good, and he's like, I wish I brought my board. I'm not sure what's happening in Paul's mind. But he really survived a shipwreck, preceded by days and days and days, actually weeks, of people like not eating because it's so scary. It's so certain that they're going to die out here on the sea. And he gets there, and certainly he must have thought, why do shipwrecks happen when you are absolutely on the right road to good? I mean, God sent an angel to say, keep him on on track, let him know. Here's a quick aside back to that question, by the way. This is in your notes. Four, four things. Number one is satanic opposition. So on the way to good, you know this is a good work that God has for you to do. There's opposition. Why? Let me give you four things very, very quickly. One is satanic opposition. This is written down in your notes. You can look at it later, but just look at the screen for a minute. First Timothy 1. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, listen to this, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. The story we find ourselves living, friends, is an epic war. There really is good versus evil. It really is in opposition. If you miss this, like you will just misinterpret everything. Again, you'll go back to turning your back on and drawing away from the good father if you don't understand this. Instead of leaning into and trusting and seeing, this is exactly what he said from the very beginning. When actual shipwrecks occur, don't shipwreck your faith. So satanic opposition is one. Here's the second thing. There is other good. There's other good that we can't see on the way to what we can see. God says, go to Rome to proclaim my name before the world rulers and to encourage the church. That's a good work. Paul gets that. But there's residual side work that God is weaving in that we can't see. I just want you to think about what what kind of impact 
Let's take Paul and Luke out of the equation. There's 270 souls left on this ship. What kind of impact does Paul have because of how he lives his life in this situation on these other people? Here's a fun little side project. Just read the subplot in this chapter of Paul and this centurion named Julius. There's a really sweet little like subplot going on. Just the impact on Julius the Roman centurion and Paul's impact on him in this situation. Here's a hint. Your testimony screams out in trials. It projects loudly. Aren't we called to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us to everyone who asks us? You don't have people running up to you and going, why are you such an amazing person? I see a halo over your head. Would you please tell me how you're such an awesome person? I love having the gospel preached to me like you do. People don't do that. You know when people come and ask, why, what, like, how, what, what, give me some reasons for the hope you have? It's when everyone's freaking out or should be freaking out in the situation you're in and you're not freaking out. The very thing Paul is doing. Hey, everyone, attention. Y'all should have listened to me, but take courage. I've got good news. None of you are going to die. All your stuff's going to go onto the sea, but we're all going to live. Man, you want to talk about captive audience. When you go through things that other people look into your life and go, if I were you, I would be a mess. How are you holding it together? That's your invitation. That's your testimony screaming out. All right, number three. I told you I'd do this quick. It grows us up in him. Does Paul still need maturing? Yes, absolutely. Paul will have rough edges until the day he dies and enters glory, just like you. So sometimes the hardships and difficulties grow us up, deepen our maturity. Here's the fourth category. Put this in your brain. Don't know, won't know. God, why? I don't know currently, and I may never know. (laughs) There's just a whole bunch of don't know, won't know that goes on in the scriptures. Job never gets this complete answer. He's given a little snippet of it. But tons of it, we know that he wasn't privy to. He wasn't told. Your life is the same way. There's all kinds of things that we will never know, and that's where trust comes in. Let me give you a third and final example of Paul and Luke trusting God's sense and not man's. This is in uh, Luke 28, verse 1. Follow along. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, that's an awesome picture, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. All right. Common sense, bad things happen to bad people. This is what justice looks like. Yeah, he escaped the sea, but he was a prisoner. He shows up. 
Bad things happen to bad people. Supernatural, God says, I use hard, painful things to mold my child and change the world. A natural, normal part of the fall is snake bites and mosquito bites. It's getting burned by the fire. It's being warmed by the fire. Right? It's having your car run. It's having your car break down. The crowd at Malta is fickle as all crowds are. Crowds change their mind as quickly as they change their underwear, and sometimes as often. They just go back and forth. Playing to the crowd is just chasing the wind. What's interesting about their sort of common sense that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people is this is actually an open door to a spiritual conversation. When you come across someone who has a sense that someone should pay for the bad done, isn't that an open invitation for the gospel? It is. You're exactly right. Justice does demand payment. Hebrews says it this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God isn't a just judge if he just washes, poofs away the one who came and ransacked your house and did you great wrong. That's not justice. So it's an opportunity, a starting point for a spiritual conversation. The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in Acts 2. Why? It's because God gave teachers to the church to grow people up in their thinking. Ephesians 4 says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful scheming. The Malta people say, he's a criminal, the worst of the kind. He's a murderer. He deserves to die. Good for him. It's been a while. He's not swelling. He's a god. They just swing, swing back and forth. Don't we just see this all the time? I hope you have this category in your brain. To and fro. That's to and fro policymaking we're doing. To and fro comments we're spouting. With each passing month in 2020 and beyond, cries for justice and goodness abounded. And if you didn't change your avatar on your social media, your silence was violence and, and you were shunned by some people. And so people would grab onto these different things, crying out for justice, crying out for goodness. Calling you to raise kind humans. And yet no one defined that for everyone. Or people just defined it in their own eyes. It's the book of Judges. Everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. So common sense and conventional wisdom was sort of shoved forward by the talking heads as if it spoke for everyone. It didn't. God alone defines goodness and justice, time passes and we see the to and fro nature of the talking heads from 2020, don't we? I mean, it's all over the map. This is nothing new and this isn't unique to our country in this time. So don't get on board with those who don't build on God. Always, always, that's eventually a sinking ship. 
Here's what we know to be true. God uses natural hardships in a fallen world to steer, overcome, and speed along his purposes. Storms, waves, snakes, the very need for fire because it's cold, travel. Jesus is responding to the 72 disciples that are coming back super excited about all the things that went on. And here's what he said to them. I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If God wants to have the snake bite run its natural course, you will swell up and die. Sorry. That's the natural way of things. If God wants the sickness and disease in you to run its natural course, he can use that for his good. God can also step in and say, nope, not today. And for Paul's good and for God's glory and for the further proclamation of the gospel on Malta, God does miraculous healing. It starts with Paul and the snake bite. It goes on to this guy's house. Go read about it. God's performing miracles because in a short period of time, he wants to say, my stamp of approval is on everything this guy is saying. Listen to him when he talks about this Jesus raising from the dead, saving your sins. I wrap with this. Band, why don't you come on up? Church Activate has been our theme. When I say we have the power and finish the mission... It means that we have the power to overcome conventional wisdom. We have the power to go beyond our common sense or our own understanding. In fact, we're called to it. We're commanded to it. Do not lean on your own understanding is where I started this morning. We saw how Paul and Luke and others lived this out in an actual storm on an actual island. Now the payoff for your story Galatians 6, 9 is a powerful verse that sort of leads us out of that story into our everyday life. Ready? Why do shipwrecks happen on the way to good? Some of it we know, some of it we won't ever know. But here's the word. And let us not grow weary of doing good. Church, you want to walk away with a message this morning. Do not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So church, don't give up. Don't give in. If you're doing the good work of God, keep it up. Harvest is coming. Close your eyes with me for a moment. God, as we close in prayer uh, this morning, but also just sort of this time in Acts, the study in Acts. God, the weekly call as we look to the scripture was for us now to activate, that we act on this, that we be doers of the word. And so Spirit, right now we invite you to rule in our mind, to wash out common sense, to wash out majority rule, to wash out our own understanding on things, and to lean and trust wholly on the Lord's understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.